garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy The sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known I'd stay in the garden with him night around me be falling, but he bids me go through the voice of woe, his voice to me is calling, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever Let's take our Bibles again and let's turn over to the book of Acts again, chapter 8, Acts chapter 8 today, verse 26. Again, we're continuing in our series entitled Christ. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. see here. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And let's go ahead and begin reading there. We'll read through verse 35. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that 
go down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, uh, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, that come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. Like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Again, we've been discussing this issue of Christ and dealing with Him as a person. And we've expressed the need to learn as much as we can about the Lord Jesus Christ because obviously it's Him that needs to be elevated, Him that needs to be exalted and lifted up if indeed men and women, boys and girls are going to come to Jesus Christ. And so we've taken the time over the last few weeks to consider His origin, to look at His birth and to note His mission. And tonight we want to continue as we Look at his life as we consider his life. An amazing life the Lord Jesus Christ lived, isn't it? And I want to look at five aspects of that life tonight. And so without further ado, let's have a word of prayer and we'll continue tonight. Father, we need you. We love you. And Lord, we're thankful for, again, the opportunity to gather today. Lord, we have these next few moments. And Lord, may they be profitable to us. As we gather here tonight, Lord, we do not come to... Hear from a mere man, we come to hear from you, the Master. And Lord, we realize, Lord, that if we leave the same as we came, we'll have wasted our time. But Lord, you said that your word would not return void. So Lord, if we leave the same, then maybe it's because we have not heard. Because we know your word will do its work in our life. Oh God, help me now to just proclaim your truths. Father, to lift up your name, to exalt you for you're so worthy of it. And Lord, may every listener open their ears and may we hear with spiritual ears, be glorified tonight. And we take responsibility for what we'll hear. May we realize, Lord, that you laid down a perfectly wonderful life for us. And you gave us an example in which we're to follow. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in that endeavor. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus, of course, grew up in Nazareth. And it was a city anywhere from probably 500 to 1,200 people in the province of Galilee. Not a very big place. Probably people were quite familiar with one another. Everybody was related somehow, some way it would seem. And I'm sure if you began to talk about Jimmy down the street, someone would say, well, that's my cousin. And, well, that's, uh, you know, uh, so-and-so's my aunt. And... They knew one another. They would have been very familiar with one another in that little town. Although it was a little town, it was a stopping place on a very great highway between Jerusalem 
the seaports of Tyre and Sidon. It seems that even though it was a small place, crime had made its way there. It was common in Nazareth. Matter of fact, Nazareth did not have that wonderful of a reputation. As a matter of fact, when apprehended, or excuse me, approached by Philip to follow Jesus, Nathaniel asked the question, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? It's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, we would assume that because it was so many years ago that they didn't have the problems that we have. They didn't face the issues that we deal with. They certainly didn't have the problem with crime and uh, immorality and indecency and destruction that we have in our world today. But yet, that's not the case at all. As a matter of fact, as we said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip, of course, responds by saying, come and see. (laughs) And we know the rest is history, don't we? Jesus, he was one to see the sinfulness, the selfishness, the corruption, the cruelty, the rebellion of mankind. And it was right in his own backyard. As a boy, he worked with Joseph, his father, his stepdaddy. I'm sure Joseph, like any good dad, stepdad, treated him like his own. Let me just say this. I I don't know why, but I want you to understand something. There's not a child in this world that doesn't need a real dad and a real mom. Just because you're not blood doesn't mean you can't be a real dad or a real mom. Every child needs a real parent. Don't use as an excuse not to be everything you ought to be to that child. It's not his or her fault that they're in the circumstance or situation they're in. We need to be real parents to these children. There's no second-class citizens in God's economy. And if you have a child that is living under your roof, you need to treat them just like your very own, even if they're not your flesh and blood. I believe Joseph did just that. I don't think he could have treated Jesus any better if he was his own flesh and blood. And so Joseph, of course, takes him under his wing, and he begins to train and teach him this trade of carpentry. I don't know about you, but some of the carpenters I've met lately seem to be men. They're not very soft. They're pretty tough. I believe Jesus was a tough fellow. I don't think Jesus was soft. I don't think he was weak. You can't be weak. And in those days, they didn't have power tools and they didn't have all the conveniences that we have. They had to do everything by hand right here. I wake up in the mornings, it seems, or in the middle of the night, and I can't even move my hands sometimes. feels like arthritis is already setting in, and my hands get sore from gripping this or gripping that. I can't even imagine not just gripping a, a drill gun all day long, but actually having to plane wood with a hand tool. These were tough people. These were men. And I believe Jesus was a man. But he grew up. From a child. It's funny with the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? We talk about his life. There's those years where we know nothing about him. I mean, we lose sight of him very early on in his life, and the next time we see him, he shows up as a 12 year old boy. And then it'll be another 18 years before we see him being baptized again. But when he turns about 30 years of age, his public ministry begins. And we know that it began basically with his baptism. Look, if you will, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. 
it's at this point that his public service begins. Now, again, we talk about in the church, the local church, the need for baptism. And, you know, <clears throat> we'll say, okay, have you been scripturally saved and scripturally baptized? Those are the tenets of, of church membership. You have to have those to be a member. One of the reasons why you need to be baptized is because, it, you know, it's your kind of your, uh, uh, the doorway to service. Even as Jesus Christ was baptized, then he began to serve. We have that example and that testimony. If you've never been baptized and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to be baptized for a number of reasons. But one reason is simply to follow in his steps and to ultimately prepare yourself for what God has in store for you. I've watched over and over again through the years where people have neglected to be baptized even though they'll profess to be saved. And it's not until they are baptized and take that step of obedience that ultimately it seems like it just opens up a new world to them and they begin to blossom as a believer. And Jesus, verse 16 and 17 of chapter 3 of Matthew says, When he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's at this point now that his public ministry kicks off and begins. And at that point, we begin reading a verse-by-verse -verse commentary of his earthly ministry, it seems. And, of course, we know that there's a number of things that are not in the Word of God. If they were in the Word of God, it would be so big, the world could not contain it. So what of his life? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, number one, he lived a simple life. Jesus Christ lived a simple life. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I mean, Jesus was born in the, the very modest, the most modest of conveniences and the most modest of environment. I mean, here he is in a stall. I mean, it, it, this, he's in a, a, a manger. He wasn't born in the Taj Mahal. He wasn't in a nice uh, hospital room. He wasn't born in a, a beautiful home. He was born in a stable. And he continued to live a very simple life. His parents weren't regarded as royalty. They, they weren't, uh, to our knowledge, anything special. They were just simple people. Just normal Joes like you and I. They were just common blue-collar workers. Jesus he didn't grow up in king's, a king's palace, and he didn't enjoy the pleasures of money or finance. He was poor and he was lowly. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, we read about his accommodations during his ministry. Chapter 8, verse 20 of Matthew, And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. During the course of his ministry, those last years, he was so busy in the ministry, working so diligently, traveling from place to place, proclaiming the truth. He didn't even have a place to lay his head, he says. He said, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So it appears that he lived outdoors quite a bit. He lived out under the stars. And again, he wasn't rich to the world's from the world's standard. But unbeknown to most, he owned it all. 
Imagine that. Every night that he went to sleep under the stars, he could look up and go, yeah, I created that one. I created that one. Oh, there goes a shooting one. Yeah, I let that happen. I mean, isn't that amazing, really? People are going, I wonder what's out there. And he goes, <laughs> yeah, I could tell you if you really just would believe. But He lived a very simple life. But not only that, he lived a sorrowful life. A sorrowful life. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. Very familiar passage. More than likely, as we begin to read it, you'll go, oh, I've heard that before. Chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah, verse 3. It's just preceding some of the great verses of all the Bible. That's what he says here. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. <coughs> it goes on, obviously, we learned he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And we could continue, continue to read on there, but notice he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The fact is, is that long before Jesus was ever born, it was already prophesied that he would not be accepted, he would not be, uh, that he would endure great suffering, that he would deal with great trial. He was destined to be rejected of men, despised, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And it even goes on to say, and we hid, our, hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Acquainted with grief and a man of sorrows. Wow, that's something, isn't it? We're talking about the creator of all the universe. And boy, I'll tell you what, the honest truth is, is that when we are acquainted with grief in our lives, it doesn't come very happily in our lives, does it? It's a difficult thing. To imagine or to think that we have to go through a tough time, we don't like to think of things like that. We don't even want to have to face those kind of issues. But think about this. He created all of us and he created everything, and yet he is acquainted with grief. He lived a hard life. The Lord Jesus did. A hard life. He was despised. He was rejected of men. The very men who owed him their life, their health, their well-being, they literally, the Bible says, fled from his presence. They distanced themselves from the Master. He wasn't exalted. He wasn't elevated in their sight. He was despised. The Bible says in John 1.11, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. The fact is, is that the Jews rejected Him, and they even rejected His message. Look at you on Matthew chapter 13, verse 54. Even those ones that were in His own country, those that knew Him the best, chose to reject him. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, let's begin there. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Once hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Mary? 
and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not so, excuse me, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Isn't that something? I mean, right off the bat, they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? But then all of a sudden someone says, Well, wait a second, isn't that, you know, we remember him in school. Don't you remember him playing outside in the yard? Isn't that Mary's son? Isn't that Joseph, the carpenter's son? Wasn't he the one that took my order when I placed it with his daddy there in the shop? I mean, that's just Jesus. That's little Jesus. If I can share, more than likely, more than likely, it doesn't matter how mature or how famous you become, young men, you all just be little chase to us the rest of your life. You'll just be little Matthew. And I don't want to go there with you. But we'll remember you as this right here. You realize? See, you know, one of the reasons why I think it's dangerous for a pastor to force his son into the ministry after him Hold on, let me finish now. In a church that's not growing. You want to know why I think that's dangerous? That to, to, to raise him to take over the church in a church that's not growing? Because the people that are there will never see him as anything but little so-and-so. Now, if the church is growing and there are new people coming in at all times and you have souls being saved and lives are being changed and He's one of the change agents in that ministry. That's a different, whole different monster. But it has to be extremely careful how you work that. Because, see, you always, always be little Matthew. You're a man now. You're grown up now, but you're still, we see you on that bus as a child. We still see you running around the Sunday school, rolling out of your chair on the ground. See, that's how we see And that's how they saw Jesus. And as a result of that, he could not do what he wanted to do for them or on their behalf. He was, his abilities were hindered because they did not believe, nor did they have the faith they should have had in him. They say familiarity breeds contempt. Well, in this case, it certainly did. It created problems. He lived a sorrowful life. But not only that, he lived a sacrificial life. Jesus Christ lived a sacrificial life. A simple life, a sorrowful life, but he also lived a sacrificial life. One of the, I think one of my favorite verses is in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. As it describes the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at how it describes him. Actually, it's him describing himself, isn't it? Notice what he says about himself. Well, if we could grasp this one right here. If we could wrap our minds around it, if we could really plant this truth deep in our hearts and could apply it to our lives, it would change our outlook completely 
and it would probably save us a lot of a lot of offense. Notice what he says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. <clears throat> now, it is true that it's in the church we have a responsibility to meet needs in the lives of people. We're here for one another and we're to help train and teach and grow one another and support one another and encourage one another without a doubt. But Jesus had a perspective that would eliminate and alleviate a lot of problems in a church. He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. I didn't arrive here and I didn't come here to be ministered to. Now, when you're first saved, there's a lot of ministering that has to go into you. There's a lot of investment that has to take place. But I feel kind of like, you know, in the book of Hebrews, when he looks at the Hebrew believers and the, the writer says, you know, you know, when you should be eating meat, when you should be teaching others, when you should be out front leading, you're still having to be dealt with like little babies. Jesus is saying, okay, now listen, I didn't come here to be ministered to. You don't have to worry about me. You don't have to pour all your resources into me. I came here to minister to others. And may I say that if you've been a Christian any length of time, your heart should be the heart of Christ here. You should be able to go to a church and say, I'm not here to be ministered to. I'm not here to receive and get only. I am here to minister to others. And you don't have to pat me on the back. And you don't have to make me feel good about myself. And you don't have to give me this and give me that to keep me around. I came here to minister to others. That's exactly how we ought to feel. What can I do to build someone up? What can I do to make a difference in a life? What can I do to bear the burden? What can I do to alleviate the stress? What can I do? and aid and to help both God and the leadership to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to minister, to be ministered to, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. Again, he ministered and he gave himself sacrificially to people. Look, if you will, Matthew chapter 14. It's funny, you know, how we look at Christ. And again, it's it's important that we understand who he was. He was God, right? Emmanuel, God with us. We understand that. And, and it is important never to de- forget that, never to lose sight of that reality. However, I do think sometimes we forget about his humanity. We are quick to remind ourselves, at least, of his deity. But we are very slow to acknowledge his humanity. Why is that? Well, look at what it says in Matthew 14. When Jesus heard of it, He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. You know what we find out about Jesus? He was constantly, continually ministering. There were multitudes that tracked him down followed him out of cities into the wilderness, into the desert places. 
He could have easily been frustrated with people and said, don't you realize, I need a break. Get away from me. Back off. Yes, I'm God, but I'm also a man. Leave me alone. I need my time. I need my space. I deserve a break today. So I'm going to McDonald's. But we don't see Jesus doing that. Now, he got away all right. Do you know what Jesus, what did Jesus do to get away? He went and prayed all night. He, well, Jesus, you really need to rest. I think I'll go pray. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Now, we don't like to talk about that. In the, we, we, we like to talk about it, but we don't like to look at it like, well, that's something in our flesh and our humanity we should do. We look at it and say, well, he was God. Well, he, it was different for him. But he was all man too, though. He had the same body that I have. He had the same flesh that I have. He had the same desires that I have. He had the same needs that I have. And this, this Jesus lived a sacrificial life. It's very clear in the scriptures that he had little, if any, time to himself. Again, everywhere he went, folks would swarm him. They'd they, they swarm him in hopes that he would heal them. I don't know about you, but I'm almost glad. I'm almost glad at times that healing, the way it was done in the New Testament in Jesus' day, is not in vogue today. And it's not, by the way. We don't have the kind of we don't have healing taking place the way it was in the New Testament. Those are some of the things that went away. Oh, it'll come back again when God begins to deal with Israel, who demands a sign. But not now. We don't need a sign. We don't need that. Listen, those healings were not just to heal people. They were to prove something. They were to prove His deity. They were to somehow validate His ministry and the ministry of the apostles. I can't imagine if I could really heal people. If I had the ability and the power to heal people, do you think I'd ever get a moment of real rest? I mean, if I really could do what these guys on TV claim they can do, who, how in the world would they ever get a moment's rest with so much cancer and so much hurt and so much heartache in the world if they could really do what they claim they can? I'm almost glad we can't do that today because... I don't know if, if in my physical flesh I could deal with that. People banging on my door in the middle of the night every night, never getting a moment's rest. Honestly, do you really think you could live in your neighborhood and your friends and family and other people all around you wouldn't find out that you can heal by touching people or speaking it? I mean, can you imagine? And Jesus, he had so little time, if any, for himself. His life was lived on behalf of others. In the book of Matthew, again, chapter 14, a little later in that same chapter, verse 34, it says, And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased. 
I mean, he's not even putting up a sign. He's not setting up in a corner. He's not trying to draw attention. He just walks on in and they say, here comes Jesus. Let everybody know he's coming. And they all went out and gathered all their sick and all those that were diseased and brought them to him. Why is it we have to advertise healing services? Why do we have to take five and six offerings? Why? Because it's not happening. It's not real. That's why. It's not real. Man, I, I, my son has a heart condition, okay? There you go. You're healed. Uh, do you think there'd be anybody in line next to him after he's went? I can run a sprint. It doesn't even bother me now. And there'd be so many young people, so many parents bringing their kids to see you, so many adults lining up that you would never have a moment's rest if you legitimately could do it. It's not happening. Common sense says it's not happening. Now, it may appear when you watch it on television and there's some guy back there tripping somebody. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make fun of it, but it is almost ridiculously humorous. And by the way, if you've known somebody that got so desperate that they went to a healer hoping they'd be healed, don't you make fun of them either. Don't you make fun of them. I promise you, you get desperate enough, you may do something like that. I, I, I mean, I, I would hope that that's not what you would, wouldn't feel the need to try that. But the reality is, is that, listen, my dad always taught me years ago, don't ever say never. You'd be surprised what you're capable of whenever you get put under the right circumstances. But nonetheless, in this particular case, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Can you imagine that? Isn't that the best? Kevin, stand up. Kevin is Jesus Christ. Literally. People lining up, doing all they can. Just take a walk. Kevin, slow. Don't like it. They just, just, just healed. Keep going. Healed. Healed. Can you imagine that? You can stop right there. Have a seat there, please. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your help. Can you imagine? Touch the hem of his garment, and they're healed. That guy didn't have any rest. Everywhere he went. He was on duty. For even the Son of Man has come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We definitely need to come apart. We definitely need to rest. We have to get those kind of things. It's necessary. It's needful in our lives. I realize that. But sometimes we make these excuses, don't we? Because somehow we think that our flesh was more flesh than his. But really, it's the same. May God help us to... Be very careful not to use our physical needs all the time as an excuse not to minister to others. Amen. John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Every one of us will be glad we did our best when we get to heaven one day. Number four, he lived a spirit-filled life. How did Jesus live a life so active, so busy, and yet he didn't burn out. I, I get real weary of the burnout words, things like that. 
bothers me. You'll work so hard, you'll burn out. Uh, yeah, okay. All I know is, is this. There is a power that exceeds our physical flesh. It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was with the Lord Jesus Christ continually. He manifested the Spirit in His life, and especially we see that at His baptism. We've already noted that passage in Matthew 3, 16 and 17, right off the bat when it says, And when He was baptized, He went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto Him, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. We see the Spirit of God descending upon Him. Immediately we see Him now being directed by the Spirit as He takes Him on out into the wilderness. He's, the Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. In the book of Hebrews, it records a wonderful commentary concerning His holiness and His Spirit-filled life. In Hebrews 1 verse 9, the Bible says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God even thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. What we find here is that the Spirit of God was very, very uh, much a part of the life of Jesus Christ that uh, anointed thee with the oil of gladness. We're talking about the Spirit of God being real in the life of Jesus Christ here. As a result, the power of the Holy Spirit was evident in His preaching, His teaching, His healing, even his resurrection was a direct result of the Spirit of God. As Jesus taught in the synagogue, in Luke chapter 4 we read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. That's the power source for Jesus Christ. See, he was as human as you and I. He drew upon the Holy Spirit as his power source. Wait a second. If I'm not mistaken, that power source, the Holy Spirit, is available to me today. He lives in me today. Wait a second. That's amazing. Therefore, in my flesh, I can be empowered by the Spirit of God to accomplish the impossible then. That's what the Bible's teaching. So that presence, the presence and the power of the Spirit of, of God in his life, it energized him. That supernatural feeling of the Holy Ghost enabled him to do the impossible. And again, that same Spirit indwells us. I love Ephesians 1.13, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Isn't that amazing? Our body is a temple. The Spirit of God dwells and lives inside us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 8, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man but God, who hath also given unto us His Holy Spirit. I don't think that the life of Christ could be summed up any better than how it was summed up by Jesus himself. John the Baptist, of course, was bound in prison where ultimately he would be executed. At that point in his life, for whatever reason, John sends his disciples seeking an answer from Christ. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we are seeking? And Jesus compassionately responds in Luke 7.22. By saying, then Jesus answered, answering, said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things ye have seen 
and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. To the poor the gospel is preached. Now that's a resume, isn't it? You know where that resume comes from? The power that he received through the Holy Ghost. One of the great things uh, about reading books, especially books of the past, is to read about men and women of God who did what we would consider the impossible. In the singles class, we're reading about uh, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Betty, they called her, and how they went to the Alka Indians and how five men gave their lives trying to reach out to a tribe of people. I mean a tribe of people, not thousands of people, a tribe of people. And as their husbands, the report comes back that their husbands are face down in the water, dead, they say, there's the will of God and we have perfect peace. The one writes in her memoirs that she is concerned because she does not want the pity of people because she has found the perfect peace of God. Now you can't read things like that and not realize how miserably short you fall to the standard that ought to be expected of the believer. Amazing. You say, well, that's just, you know, that's the exception. No, it isn't. That's how we ought to be. We have lost sight of the standard often because we fail to realize and recognize the real power source that's available to us, the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus Christ, He lived a Spirit-filled life. Finally and last, He lived a sinless life. I mean, we've got to touch on that, right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Turn there, if you would, please. A very powerful verse. And again, we don't need to belabor this point. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. We're going to move right through it. But He lived a sinless life. Hebrews 4, 15. It says there in Hebrews 4, it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. How do you overcome sin in his life? The Spirit of God. <laughs> if Jesus couldn't sin, then he couldn't fulfill the law in that sense, in his flesh. If he could not have transgressed the law, he could not have fulfilled the law. That's why he had to become a man. That's why he had to bear sinful flesh. He had to be in a position where he understood and experienced exactly what you and I experience. We say, well, God can't be tempted. Yeah, well, God can't sin. Yeah, I understand that. Anything God did would be, I guess, right. But hold on a second. Why did he have to become a man then? What what qualifies his life as sinless. He kept the law. And yet the Bible tells us that he did that through the power of the Spirit. Therefore, if he had walked in the flesh, he would have failed. 
He didn't, though. I don't understand it all. But what I do know is this. We fail in our walk and we miserably sin against God because we do not appropriate the Spirit of God in our life and allow Him to live in and through us. We are not filled with the Spirit most of the time. We walk in the flesh. And as a result of that, we struggle with sin all the time. And it's something we've got to get a handle on. We must work on at least. We can't just give up and say, well, I just can't do it. What's the point? Always failing, so why even try? We can't quit. So although he was tempted, he was proven faithful. And he's the only one that lived a sinless, perfect life. He fulfilled the law. He kept the Ten Commandments, unlike any other person. We know, according to Romans, that the Ten Commandments were given to us to reveal to us our great need of a Savior, to show us that we could not measure up, nor could we ever measure up, to the perfect standard of God. It was never given as a means of salvation. The Ten Commandments was never given to somehow help us to find our way to God and earn... uh, No, it was given to help us find our way to God, but it wasn't given to provide us the way to God. It was given, as we said already, to prove to us we could not get there on our own because we just can't keep the law. Jesus did, though. Jesus did. In 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He suffered the just for the unjust. What a great life. Well, what a tough life you live. Jesus Christ, simple life. Is your life complicated today? Is it real complicated? There's not a believer's life that ought to be that complicated. Our lives should be simple lives. I'm not talking about not busy. I'm not talking about being so active. We ought to be active. We ought to be busy. I'm saying they ought to be simple, though. We don't need to be guessing what we should be doing all the time and where we should go and how we should live. No, those are things that are already settled for us in the Word of God. It's a simple life, the Christian life. Simple. Jesus was a simple man. He lived a sorrowful life. You live long enough in this life, you'll know what sorrow is. And you may not have to live very long before you recognize it or before you experience it firsthand. He lived a sacrificial life, a life that each of us ought to strive to live, a spirit-filled life, a life that we must surrender to, yield to, in order to ultimately have victory in our Christian life. And he lived a sinless life, a life that we ought to shoot for, we ought to strive for. There's not one of us that will live a sinless life. We, We understand that. But there's no reason in the world why we shouldn't strive to be sinless as a believer. We ought to do our best to be without sin. That's all. God help us to be more like Him. Jesus Christ is life. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a glorious Savior we have. We're blessed today, aren't we? Do you know him? Is he yours?
And not only do you know him as Savior, but do you know him? Do you meet with him? Do you have an opportunity to fellowship with him on a regular basis? Have you taken the time to do that? We all need to do that, don't we? I think in heaven one day we'll all regret the fact that we didn't spend more time with him on earth. Because I think what we're going to realize is that we could have accomplished so much more if we'd have just spent a little less time trying to do and a little more time trying to be. I'm not talking about neglecting responsibility. I'm just talking about taking that time when we could have been in his presence and, and, and just using it for his glory. If we spend an hour a day, maybe we need to spend a little more. If we spend a half hour a day, maybe we should spend a little more. If you spend 10 minutes a day right now, you ought to spend a little more, I think. I think we all need to just look at our personal time and say, what can I do to spend just that little bit more time? Because in the end, that's what will bring the great profit in my life. It will prepare me and ready me for the next phase of my Christianity and my ability to be used by Him. Father, we come to you, Lord.